Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. Our current uh, December-January print edition is out on the streets in our red and white news boxes around the city in more than 60 public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, and other venues. My co-host, Amu Gagarian, is away this week. Uh, in, in today's show, in the first half of today's show, we're going to talk about uh, workers and health care. We're going to uh, uh, look at the uh, nurses' strike uh, that began yesterday at four uh, uh, private hospitals in Manhattan and Bronx, uh, one at uh, Mount Sinai, uh, on 99th Street and Madison and uh, three of the Montfiore hospitals. Uh, their nurses are also uh, still on strike. Uh, a total of about 7,000 nurses uh, who are striking for better pay and working conditions uh, against uh, some very powerful and wealthy private hospitals. It's currently the largest uh, active strike in the country going on right now. And uh, we're going to have a chance to talk with uh, Stephen Wishnia, a longtime labor reporter who was up at uh, Mount Sinai on 99th and Madison yesterday talking to the nurses uh, what their concerns are and why they're uh, out on strike. And uh, a little later, we'll also talk about workers in healthcare from the perspective of those who receive it. The, uh, the city of New York is trying to transfer uh, 250,000 retired municipal workers uh, from their current Medicare health care plan uh, to privately managed uh, and privately run Medicare Advantage. Many of the uh, retirees are very upset about this. There was a, uh, a labor committee uh, uh, hearing at city council yesterday. Uh, many retirees turned out to uh, talk uh, to testify about their concerns and uh, we're going to be joined uh, by uh, uh, CUNY professor uh, Barbara Caress uh, who is a, a member of the professional staff congress of CUNY also a healthcare expert and has worked with many unions here in the city over the years and she's going to help break down the situation for us and why uh, things have uh, come to this impasse and, and, and later in the show we're going to throw open our phone lines we look forward to hearing uh, from you and Talk about uh, what we we've uh, covered earlier in the show, or talk about uh, whatever else is on your mind. What you're thinking about as the new year is underway. We're um, it's January 10th, and uh, but as I was saying, we're going to uh, first of all go to uh, the strike uh, that is underway at four privately run hospitals in the city. We have some footage uh, from uh, yesterday. Uh, but I don't think we're, we're quite ready to run that. Um, so we might circle back to that a little bit uh, later in this uh, segment. But uh, in the meantime, I uh, want to welcome uh, Stephen Wishnia. He's a longtime uh, labor and tenant uh, 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 reporter here in New York. He's written for The Independent uh, over the last 20 years. He writes for other publications as well. And uh, yesterday, he filed a piece for uh, Work Bites uh, from his reporting uh, up at uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, Steve, welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So, 
you went up uh, yesterday. You, you spent a lot of time up there uh, talking to the nurses uh, outside of the Mount Sinai Hospital at 99th and Madison. It was a very uh, pretty raucous uh, scene. And uh, what what were some of the things you were hearing from them? Uh, it was pretty loud, but it was also pretty festive. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing I heard was staffing. You know, I went up to this group of uh, four women who turned out to be oncology nurses or nurse practitioners. And I said, I'd like to talk to you about why you're out here. And they said, in almost in unison, safe staffing. Uh, you know, people talk about uh, having way more patients than they're supposed to have, you know, in intensive care unit, you're supposed to have only, you know, at most two because people are really sick and, you know, they can have a crisis at any minute, but, uh, you know, work nurses are having, you know, three patients, sometimes four, uh, at Montefiore in the emergency room, people are talking about, uh, you know, having 20 patients at a time. So it's, they're really overworked and this interferes with their ability to uh, give good care. I had nurses telling me, you know, oh, we work 12 hour shifts normally, but you know, if I'm on the day shift and the night shift is short, then I have to stay on and do a 24 hour shift. And, you know, nobody is going to be, you know, highly coherent you know, after doing 19 hours of a 24-hour shift. Right. And um, uh, and at the same time, there's also uh, uh, traveling nurses that come in uh, and get paid a lot more. Can you talk about this situation? Yeah, that's, you know, fairly standard in the industry in, in medical care recently is, you know, there are nurses who uh you know, let's say during COVID, you know, New York needs nurses and they'll get paid, you know, substantially more than a regular nurse would to come in and work for two weeks or whatever. But they're also used during strikes, which is a little different than, you know, regular labor strike. You know, you have a strike at, you know, four okay, they can't make cars for, you know, however long the strike is, which hurts the company, the workers don't get paid, but doesn't endanger people's lives. So, you know, healthcare is the only kind of strike where the union has to give 10 days notice before going out on strike. And uh, the NISNA, New York State Nurses Association, put out, a message saying, if you need medical care and you have to go to a hospital, it's not crossing a picket line to go in when you need care. But when you come out, you're welcome on our picket line. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, threading a difficult needle there. Well, yeah, but there is, they are commonly used as strike breakers. Uh, the, the, the traveling nurses. Yeah. And staffing is, you know, probably the biggest issue by far in the nurses' strikes that I've covered over the last few years. It was a big issue at the one at St. Vincent's in Worcester, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which went on for, you know, close to a year. Uh, the big issue at the one uh, last year in Buffalo, it's the biggest complaint that nurses have is uh, we don't have the staff to give patients proper care. We're overworked. Right. We, 
We have uh, some sound from yesterday. Our, our uh, uh, reporter Sue Brisk uh, was also up at uh, Mount Sinai, and she spoke with a, a couple of uh, veteran nurses uh, at that hospital who are on strike, and and they um, shared with us uh, their concerns about staffing. We'll go to this r- right now. My name is Lila Garcia Ona. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm in Mount Sinai from March 16, 1982. I was at bedside as a nurse and a senior clinical for 20 years, and now I'm a nurse practitioner for 20 years. I will be in Mount Sinai for 41 years on March 16, 2023. But right now, I work there for over 40 years. And we had seen that, you know, nurses and NPs are overworked. We work like sometimes 23 patients working with doctors with four buildings. And we have to walk all those four buildings because the patients are scattered. But we do as much as we can on those with those patients. Thank you. My name is Judith Archer. I've been here for 38 years. February the 21st, I'll be here 29, uh, 39 years, working ADS medicine, working different departments within the hospital. And over the last 10 years or so, you have seen where the patient nurse-patient ratio has increased. I'm a nurse practitioner on an ADS service, and there are times when I have 20, 25 patients, and that is unsafe practice. There is no way that you can render care. You get calls from your physicians to make consults, make appointments. You do everything except mop the floor, and enough is enough. That was uh, Leela Garcia-Ona and Judith Archer, two nurses at Mount Sinai uh, on um, in 99th and Madison, uh, both on strike, uh, speaking yesterday to the independents, uh, Sue Brisk. Uh, Steve, that sounds a, a lot like what uh, what you were hearing. Uh, what, what's your sense of uh, where this strike is headed from here with the, the 7,000 nurses uh, still out on the picket line? Uh, I don't know. Staffing is really the big sticking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, several other you know, hospitals, uh, New York Presbyterian is the only one that's bigger than these two and have signed contracts with staffing that's acceptable to the union mm-hmm. and with wage increases that are, you know, seven, six percent, six percent, five percent a year, adding up to 19 percent. So money is not really the issue, but uh, the two biggest ones, you know, Mount Sinai's flagship in East Harlem and Montefiore in the Northeast Bronx, one main hospital on Gun Hill Road and two satellite hospitals, you know, they're not, you know, Mount Sinai is the one that walked out on talks right before the deadline. Uh, and they're both saying, well, we've offered the workers, you know, the same money, you know, why aren't they signing? And it's just, you know, staffing is still the sticking point. Uh, Montefiore, you know, offered the workers, you know, that it would create 170 new nursing positions, but they have 
something like 760 vacancies, so that's not even a quarter of the number of vacant positions. Um, Mount Sinai, according to the union, has you know more something like 500 vacant positions. So, and, and the reasons that there, there's these vacancies, I assume, is in part at least because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, many nurses quit. Some died uh, while trying to serve their uh, patients. Um, it, it seems like the hospital would want to fill their ranks. Yeah, they you know they quit. They uh, uh, somebody I was talking to uh, works on the night shift said that you know ten people on his shift had quit. Uh, in the last couple of years, it, some of them became travel nurses because it's more money. Uh, so, you know, a lot of what people say is that a lot of nonprofits, you know, hospitals are technically nonprofit, but they work like for-profit corporations. They have huge executive salaries. They're trying to, you know, squeeze out as much money as they can. Um, right. And others, you know, there are costs. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, equipment's a lot of money. Uh, this Montefiore depends something like two thirds on Medicare and Medicaid, which pay less than private insurance companies. But yeah, these are companies that can afford to, you know, pay executives more than a million a year. You know, the head of the Mount Sinai Health you know, systems chain gets 12 million. The chief executive officer at, uh, Montefiore gets 7 million a year, at least he did in 2020. So. Uh, right. Well, I guess if you and I ever had any dreams of getting rich, I guess we went in the, in the wrong, uh, in the wrong field. But, um, uh, before we go, uh, go here, there's one other story that you're, uh, following. Uh, uh, about, uh, labor unions and strikes that, uh, is very important and is maybe just coming on people's radar. And that was a case that was heard at the Supreme Court today that, uh, could make it harder for unions to strike. Can you, uh, just, uh, break down that case and, and what you were hearing today? Yeah. The case is called, uh, Glacier Northwest versus Teamsters Local 174. I'm working on a story for Work Bites that's going to be up tomorrow on it. And it basically involves a concrete company in Seattle where when the drivers went on strike in 2017, they walked out in the middle of a shift and the uh, the union, a union uh, person told the drivers, leave the, one of the seven words I can't say on WBAI running, <laughs> but not to turn off, basically told them not to turn off the trucks because in a cement truck, if you stop it, the cement in the drum hardens and that ruins the truck. So they told them to leave them running so the cement wouldn't get ruined. But the company had to dump them out and basically lost about $11,000, $12,000 worth of concrete. So they're suing. They tried to sue the union for property damage, claiming it was intentional. And the Washington Supreme Court last year ruled that it wasn't. And based on you know, current Supreme Court case law, that because the workers were involved in what's considered what is arguably protected conduct 
under federal labor law, it, they had to wait to see if what, how the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, ruled on it before they could go through with their suit. And the company is suing, and it's reached the Supreme Court, and the company is arguing basically that since they're claiming it was intentional damage by the workers, they have the right to be heard in state court, and that the president saying the NLRB has to decide first is interfering with the jurisdiction of state courts to handle lawsuits. But why is this uh, so dangerous? I mean, this started out with $11,000 of, uh, you know, cement materials and, uh, you know, who's responsible for that um, lost property. But uh, how could this case, uh, especially if it's decided in favor of the company, uh, uh, create more uh, danger for unions in the future? Uh, well, one, it creates, you know, a possible legal liability for unions. They have to defend against lawsuits. And also, you know, all strikes involve economic damage to the. That's the whole point. (laughs) Uh, If if you're, if you're the workers and you're trying to get a better deal. Yeah. But there's the current rule is that, you know, obviously if you do something like, you know, break windows or, uh, yeah, sabotage the assembly line. That is not protected conduct. Sure. You can be arrested for that. You can be sued for that. But there's a legal principle that property damage that's sort of incidental to a strike is protected. Like if supermarket workers go on strike, they're not liable if food spoils. If newspaper delivery workers go on strike, they're not liable because the papers are undelivered. You know, if they set bales of newspapers on fire, you know, that would be, you know, mm-hmm. that would be, you know, illegal, but just the newspapers don't get delivered. That's not, you know, that's considered right. Because people have the right to withdraw their labor. Is, is so, the- yeah. So this is putting that in jeopardy sort of in the gray area between, you know, what's intentional and what's incidental because, you know, the company is uh, backed by the Chamber of Commerce and some of those far right you know, litigation mm-hmm. organizations, the Buckeye Institute, uh, places like that uh, is arguing that the timing of the strike was calculated to do economic damage to the employer so uh it may not you know lead to anything you know, may be decided on procedural things but it's you know something that could open the door to a way to make you know unions that go on strike you know vulnerable to lawsuits for damages and you know if you're going to follow <laughs> the pattern that happened with abortion or the pattern that happened with the Janice case a couple of years ago, it could lead to, you know, a decision that, you know, any, you know, the union is liable for any economic damage. You know, that's a long shot, but that's. uh, Right. That's kind of how case law uh, works. Sometimes is you, you, they, 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 
chip away in one place and then chip away at the next place. And, and then the wall, you know, then they knock a hole in the wall saying, well, we chipped away this place. So that means we're justified in chipping away at this place. And then, you know, we chipped away at these three places. So we're justified in knocking a hole in the wall, which is basically what happened in Janus. Uh, the Supreme Court did a couple of decisions involving things like home health care aides who are, you know, were deemed to be part of 1199 and whether they had to pay dues and Justice Alito in one of the decisions wrote, you know, and the Abood decision, the 1977 case that said your know, workers had to pay at least fees to the union for representation, even if they weren't uh, members was quote questionable unquote. And then when, you know, J- Arthur Janice came in with his state, his suit, they ruled that, yeah, you know, that applies to all public sector workers, not just these ones in small and, you know, outlier groups. Right. So well, w- whether this will happen in this case, I don't know. But, uh, you know, there are some people on justice on the court uh, who would probably be like, would like to see that. Indeed. Well, we'll have to leave it there. But, uh, People can, you can follow, uh, Steve Wishney's, uh, latest labor coverage at workbytes.com and, work-bytes.com. uh, say that again, work-bytes.com. Work, yes. Uh, work-bytes.com. Uh, Steve reports uh, regularly for them along with, uh, WBAI's, uh, Bob Henley. And, uh, so keep up the good work, uh, Steve. It's always great to have you on the show. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. We'll be back uh, in a minute and we'll be talking uh, more uh, labor labor news about uh, municipal retirees, a quarter million of them at risk of being transferred into a new health care plan. Many of them do not want. Nurse's Life is Full of Woe by Billy Bragg. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're also streaming on WBAI.org to our audience across the country and around the world. And uh, um, and my, my name is John Tarleton, editor of The Independent. Uh, my co-host, Amma Gagarian, is away this week. Expect her back next week. Looking forward to that. And uh, uh, before we continue here, just want to uh, put the word out 
this station can use your help if you if you like the uh, independent news hour or many other excellent shows that you can hear on WBAI every day and throughout the week. Please think about calling 212-209-2950. Again, that number is 212-209-2950. Or you can call, uh, give, or you can go online and go to give number two dot WBAI dot org. You can make a, a generous one-time contribution, whatever you can do, $15, $25, $50, $100, 250 or $500, whether it's a little or a lot, it makes a big difference. And uh, as you probably have heard, uh, the station is behind on its rent at four times square uh, where it has its uh, antenna and its transmitter that makes it possible to beam this signal all over the New York City region, 90 miles in all directions from uh, Times Square out across Long Island, up the Hudson Valley, uh, across New Jersey, and throughout the five boroughs. Your contribution helps keep that antenna and that transmitter uh, beaming away, 212-209-2950, or go online to give number two, WBAI.org. One of the really great things you can do is become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. You're eligible for all sorts of excellent uh, uh, benefits that come with that. And, of course, you get the satisfaction of helping keep this station on the air, giving Ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty dollars a month. Uh, you know, it's really w- the many hundreds of WBAI buddies are the bedrock of the station that they give it uh, a certain amount of financial stability from one month to the next. Um, obviously, the station needs more money, uh, which will give it more stability as we enter our sixty-third year on the air at WBAI. Two one two two zero nine two nine five zero or give number two dot wbai dot org and uh, we're going to move on to our next segment uh uh yesterday city council uh held uh the city council's labor committee held a public hearing on um a measure uh, pushed by the adams administration uh that would make it possible for the city uh to transfer uh 250,000 retired city workers uh, from their current Medicare health coverage uh, to privately run Medicare Advantage. This has been a very fierce uh, battle that has been uh, running for over a year. Uh, we did a cover story uh, in our October edition of The Independent. Uh, Stephen Wishnia, our previous guest, was the author of that piece. A- and uh, the the re- many of the retirees have fought fiercely around this. There's a lot of concern uh, that uh, privately uh, run version of Medicare known as Medicare Advantage uh, has some serious uh, limitations. And, uh, um, and as things stand, city council is tentatively scheduled to vote on this on January 19th, uh, um, Thursday, January 19th. So only, uh, nine days away. Uh, this struggle is really coming to a head. And to help us understand, uh, what is going on, uh, we're, uh, g- be joined in a minute by Barbara uh, Caress. Uh, she's a uh, uh, adjunct professor at uh, CUNY's uh, Baruch College in Manhattan. Uh, she uh, also previously uh, worked as a senior executive at uh, 32BJ and helped oversee uh, their five benefit funds. She's been a healthcare uh, a policy consultant to various other unions in the city, and she's also a proud 
member of the Professional Staff Congress, CUNY, the union that represents 30,000 uh, of faculty and professional staff uh, at the City University of New York. And that's a union local that has really helped take the lead in the in the fight against the city's plan to uh, carry out this uh, uh, switcheroo. And um, uh, Barbara, welcome to WBAI 99.5 FM. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, one, before we begin, just one point about PSC. PSC yes. is, I believe, the only municipal employee unions where retirees have full voting rights in the election of officers. I don't think that's true of any other municipal union. So PSC's activism on this issue is both, um, Progressive because it's a progressive union and and driven by want the desire to do the right thing, but also in response to an extremely active um, group of PSC retirees. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a, a very uh, uh, activist uh, infused uh, union. And, and you testified at city council uh, yesterday, Barbara. Uh, can you sort of summarize for starters uh, what you see as uh, some of the uh, shortcomings of the city's plan and, and, and why Medicare Advantage is not necessarily the best option uh, to try to impose on these former city workers? Um, I'd be happy to. Um, I, I need to step back just a little bit and put this in context, what's going on here. Um, the city provides very excellent health benefits for retirees and for actives. Um it's a premium free insurance and it's very costly to the taxpayers and has a, it constitutes about, the cost of it is about 10% of the city's $104 billion annual budget. It's a big item. Um, retiree health benefits are mostly provided by Medicare. That doesn't cost the city anything. Okay. What the, what the city provides for Medicare retirees is a supplemental plan that fills the gaps in Medicare, the gaps like uh, 20% coinsurance for doctor visits or $2,000 deductible when you go to the hospital. There, Medicare was built with gaps. And a lot of people, um, many people, buy supplemental insurance called Medigap policies um, to fill them because those gaps can be big if you're sick. Um and um so but the city provides this benefit as part of its uh benefit plan it's called the senior ca- senior care and a supplemental plan and that's basically what it covers so um for the last 6 or 7 years the unions um municipal labor council which committee which is a coalition of all the municipal labor unions um have been negotiating with the city over the costs of these benefits of the $11 billion that the city is spending. Um, as I said, the retiree part of the insurance is modest. It's only $600 million. Only, as I say, only $600 million. $600 million is only a small number in the context of the city budget. Um, so, um, and they've made various changes in, in the, Composition of the benefits, uh, retiree as well as act, active benefits. Um, and they came down to, um, wanting more, the city wanting more concessions from the unions. Um, and they thought that they could had an easy target with retirees 
Um, they weren't organized. They were basically unrepresented by the unions. They weren't organized. And from the perspective of many of the city labor leaders, they thought Medicare Advantage isn't bad. We're really not taking much away from them. And it'll put $600 million more into the city treasury that ultimately is available for collective bargaining. They were, I think, stunned when retirees got wind of the plan and began organizing, fiercely organizing against it, um, including filing a successful lawsuit, which led a judge, a New York State judge, to issue an opinion that said, you can't, you can put people in Medicare Advantage if you want, but you can't charge premium for the supplemental plan. The city's plan was, We'll move everybody into Medicare Advantage and we'll give people an opportunity to opt out, but we'll charge them. We'll charge them $200 a month, which is basically the cost of senior care. And the judge said, no, you can't. The city law says that you're obligated to provide insurance up to about $800 a month. This is within that ceiling, so you can't charge. Uh, Right. And... uh I mean, I guess uh, two contextual things here is, is it fair to say that a lot of these city workers, uh, accepted, uh, lower pay, uh, over the years in, in the belief that they would get this high quality healthcare coverage in their retirement? And that also many of them, uh, have very modest, uh, pensions and $200 a month more, uh, would be, uh, onerous. Uh, both, I agree with, with both points. I mean, first of all, retirees, I mean, the, the prospect of retirement with full health benefits is really an extraordinary prospect that most workers don't have, that city workers have had and should have and have earned over a lifetime of employment. Um, number one. And number two, Pensions are modest. Um, the average size of a pension over the last 10 years is $26,000 a year. Not a huge amount of money if you consider, if you think about what it would, $2,400 a year or $4,800 a year for a couple to buy the benefits they now have for nothing. They now have for free. They earned and believe they are entitled to, and I agree that they're entitled to it. So the, the city's recourse when the judge said you can't charge was to say, well, we want to charge, and so if the city law is the problem, we'll change the law. And that's where the city council comes in, because the Adams administration has requested that the city council change the law so that they can charge people for senior care. Um, and that's what's being contested right now in yesterday's hearing and in next week's city council vote. And what's your sense of sort of what the uh, most, uh, I guess, animating uh, uh, concern is for the retirees? Uh, I think the most, I think clearly it's fear that Medicare Advantage will leave them without access to care if they're seriously ill and need some unusual care that Medicare Advantage won't pay for and which they don't have the resources themselves to pay for. And that's a, perfectly reasonable fear. Medicare Advantage is not bad health insurance, but it is uh, not Medicare. Medicare basically does not require prior approval 
they assume that if a doctor has ordered a test or suggested a treatment that it's appropriate. The way commercial insurance companies operate and Medicare is owned, Medicare plans are owned by uh, commercial insurance companies um, is that the way they contain costs is by limiting access to precisely those kinds of services. So retirees are fearful that they'll lose they're number one they're angry that they're losing a benefit they earned and worked hard for over a lifetime of employment with the city and secondly they're fearful that they won't get the care they need when they need it right and and what's your sense of uh, how things uh, may go at city council I think it's iffy. I think it's, I, I, um, I, I think, you know, I'm very surprised. I think the retirees have been extraordinarily effective, um, in organize. I think the city is shocked at the pushback from retirees after all. They had to organize them. Other than the PSC retirees, they had no organization to represent them and they have done an extraordinary job of creating organizations to represent them. Um, and they can mobilize uh, the Facebook page for one of the organizations has 20,000 followers. They can, they mobilized hundreds of people yesterday to attend the meeting. There were 200 people who registered to testify. And I believe all but three were in opposition to, um, this plan. Mm. And, and I've also noticed, uh, the, uh, Political coalition uh, against uh, the the mayor's plan uh, includes uh, several Republicans on the city council uh, from Staten Island and uh, maybe certain enclaves of Queens or Brooklyn, where there are a number of retired uh, uh, police officers and firefighters uh, that are also concerned. Uh, your your thoughts on the irony of yeah. I, I, All this. precisely the irony. Um, the firefighters testified with PSC yesterday. We were part of the same panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and the Republicans represent communities where their, you know, uniformed services, um, families live. So, um, it's perfectly reasonable, logical that they would be responsive to the uniformed services in the same way that the progressive members of the council are responsive to um, the claims of the demands of retirees for access to quality care. So it's it's a little bit bifurcated, but I don't I you know listening to the members of the council ask questions yesterday, I don't think you could have known which were Republicans and which were Democrats. Oh, that's that's good to hear. And, and um, also uh, with this uh, uh, nurses' strike uh, going on. Uh, at, at Mount Sinai, East Harlem, and three Montfiore hospitals up in, in the Bronx. Uh, uh, your, your thoughts on maybe where the city uh, could find the savings it's looking for in its uh, health care costs uh, without taking it uh, out of the hides of its retired workers? Um, yeah, I think we, we've put, PSC has put forward a, basically a plan that says, look, the problem here is not the cost of retiree benefits. The cost of retiree benefits is actually quite modest. What the problem is, is the cost of health benefits. And the city is not alone in this. I mean, every, everybody's experiencing, almost everybody's experiencing increased cost in health insurance. What drives the cost of health insurance is the cost of health care. And particularly the cost of hospitals. Um, and to give you a sense of, about, um, 
about 50 cents of every insurance dollar that's spent on health care is spent on hospitals. Um, in New York, our hospitals are extremely expensive. Um, on average, they, they, um, commercial insurance pays them two and a half times what Medicare pays. Medicare is, um, is set at about the cost, about cost. Medicare pays at about cost. Medicare, Medicaid pays less. Medicare pays, it's a very small margin, but the give or take, it's, it's set to, to reimburse for the cost of care. Commercial insurance, Medicare uh, advantage among them pay hospitals two and a half times what, um, what uh, Medicare pays. And, um, it's not that the hospitals desperately need this money. In fact, the big hospitals in New York, NYU, New York Presbyterian, Mount Sinai, Northwell, which is uh, LIJ, netted in the last year that we were able to look at the data in 2020, they netted well over $2 billion after they paid their CEOs multi-million dollar salaries. This is the money that they said that they, at the end of the year, when they did their accounting, including all their expenses and all the other things that they have acquired, other hospitals, other companies, um, Northwell, for example, owns a, a staffing agency, <laughs> among other things. Um, they had net income of well over $2 billion. And our sense is that um, that $2 billion is essentially stolen from the um, pay of hundreds of thousands of New York City workers whose insurance is what gives them that money. So our just to tie it back to the nurses' strike, um, we think that there's um, a way to restructure the way insurance pays for um, medical care, health hospital care in New York City that does not require them to do anything other than take their surplus and not and reduce it. Um, that healthcare workers are entitled to good salaries and they should be paid. But even paying good good and fair salaries to healthcare workers, there is surplus that should be returned to the people who need it, um, who earned it, and um, not to the bank accounts of large large supposedly nonprofit hospitals. Right, and these hospitals are very uh, politically uh, connected. I imagine they, you know, I know they were major supporters of Andrew Cuomo when he was the governor. I imagine they uh, make a lot of uh, generous campaign donations to keep the things the way they are. Yeah, and they're very large employers. I mean, Northwell mm-hmm. ha- has, um, I believe, almost seventy thousand employees. These are really mammoth. In- mm-hmm. These are not just hospitals; these okay. are systems. Right. Okay, well, uh, we'll leave it there, but uh, uh, Barbara uh, Caress, uh, uh, adjunct professor at uh, CUNY's Baruch uh, College, an expert on healthcare policy, thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI 99.5 FM. Thank you for having me. You bet. When we come back, uh, we're going to uh, open the phone lines for the last part of the show. We uh, look forward to hearing from you. If you want to talk about what um, our our guests have been saying over the course of the show, or if you have uh, other topics on your mind, uh, uh, we look uh, forward to hearing from you. Our phone number uh, for the open phone line 
is 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. Give us a call and let us know what's on your mind. And we'll be back after this short break. Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping. With folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Really getting by. It's all taking and no giving. Just use your mind. That was 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, a newspaper here in New York. Uh, we're also online at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T.org. We're also on social media, uh, especially uh, active on Twitter. We've had a lot of coverage of the nurses strike uh, on our Twitter feed uh, the last couple of days. And uh, uh, I understand we have two callers waiting and we're going to go to them in a moment. Just a reminder, please support this station. If you can, 212-209-2950, give number two, WBAI.org, help keep our transmitter and antenna beaming away at Times Square. And what we've got, uh, uh, several callers on the line. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, move forward with that. Um, first caller, if, if you're there, uh, can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Mercedes calling from Brooklyn. Hello. This is Mercedes calling from Brooklyn. Uh, hi, Mercedes. Welcome to WBAI. 
Yeah, hi. Um, it's sad that we're back to the 1980s when we had to do the same thing because administrators don't understand that nurses, they are risking nurses' licenses when they don't provide them with sufficient staff to respond to the patients, especially emergencies, whether down in the emergency room or up on mm -hmm. the unit. When a nurse has six and seven patients, she cannot be aware at, at a moment's notice of what's going on in a particular room. So you're stressing her out. You're putting her license in danger because nurses do not respond to doctors. Nurses have their own license to practice. If the doctor makes a mistake, the nurse has to catch it. She can't just give the patient a medication because the doctor ordered it. She has to know pharmacology, and the public has to understand this. So when you load her with patients and she's rushing and not paying attention to the order to see that maybe there is a mistake, now she's in trouble and she's going to lose her license. Secondly, administration, the government, Medicaid, Medicare, and private companies need to take a look at how they are staffed at the administrative level out in those other offices and let them cut that down and bring in more staff and stop using so many agency nurses who just drop in now and then and the regular nurse has to clean up behind them. People don't know the seriousness of what's going on in there. Okay? So that nurse right. is not just but there eight hours as a maid. She has a license and she has to be on top of what's going on on that unit. It may look like she's doing nothing. Okay? okay. It, it, thank you for sharing that, Mercedes. We, we have uh, several more callers in line uh, we're going to go to, but thanks again for calling us uh, here at WBAI. Uh, in, uh, the next caller, if you can give your name and where you're calling from. Sure. I'm Gary, and I'm in New York City. And first, kudos to Mercedes. She said it just as it is. Uh, I think everyone who's been in the hospital realizes the risk in it. Uh, but I'm talking about the plan to essentially delete the hospital and Medicare benefits uh, by the municipal union leaders. Not all of them, but the worst one being, since I was a teacher for 33 years, is the UFT. Right. And their, and their view, Mulgrew's view, that if I can get $600 million a year divided between the other unions, I have my my salary increases taken care of for as long as it is necessary. There's a critical thing that happened with municipal workers during 9-11. Tens of thousands were exposed to the 9-11 toxins, I myself being one of them. And it's mm -hmm. changed my life. Those, all of us who've had those experiences, I taught in a school that within the first five years, 20 people died. In the next three years, another 15, all 9-11 results. This was in uh, Lower Manhattan where you were teaching? In Lower Manhattan. I'll mention the school. It's Stuyvesant High School. Uh, many, aside from people retiring, but essentially people were given misinformation and state. I'm alive because I left. Others are not so fortunate. But the real issue is what Mulgrew and the unions want, and that's a guaranteed payoff 
okay, to keep their membership. He makes over a million dollars a year. Randy Weingarten, the head of the UFT, makes $1.5 million a year. So this is a joke. None of them have ever been in a room. The risks to me and to many members who have access to specific doctors who know exactly what the 9-11 protocols are is very significant. What's also significant is the union of Orthodox rabbis and the Catholic Church are afraid of the mitigation of end-of-life care. So these people are reckless. They're essentially hoodlums, okay, bargaining away. The, the balance sheet, they're gone. They'll be in the other careers. Yep. We don't have any kind of option because we're on a fixed income. We can't remake our lives. Right. The- I appreciate you sharing your story, Gary. We've got a couple more people waiting to come on the air. But thank you for uh, calling us here on the Independent News Hour. Um, I believe we have another caller uh, coming up. Uh, you can tell us your name and where you're calling from. Hello. Yes, Hi. Hi. You're on uh, WBAI 99.5 FM. Yes. My name is David. In California, they have a law which uh, caps nurses to six patients. And um, that's a big factor because here in New York uh, State, you know, depending upon the hospital, you know, there's nurses that are being overworked, overrun, and they have to deal with maybe 12 patients. Imagine dealing with 12 patients, and they're burning them out, and they're overstressing them. And if you go to the hospital, there's something called the hospitalist, medical doctor, physician, which is a outsourced doctor that comes in per diem. And they are not the same quality as a MD on, you know, as an employee. They're using nurse practitioners in place of medical doctors. They're, tra- they're using physician assistants as replacement for medical doctors. You know, you will not know necessarily that you're being seen by a resident who has little experience. You don't know who is the attending, who's very likely, you know, also fairly new. And the reality is, um, unlike California, um, they're whittling down the medical quality. And that goes, you know, for Wild Cornell and Mount Sinai. So, you know, when you go to an ER, you don't know you're seeing a resident. You know, you don't know who's the attending. It's a scam. It's about profits. Insurance companies dictate medical treatment. Contact the pharmacy. I have a friend who's a pharmacist. They tell him how how what they're going to approve or not. Private clinical physicians, they are the insurance dictate medic, uh, medication prescriptions and if they're going to continue and generic. This is a business, and also regarding the pensions, NYPD. Quickly. All right, we have we have 15 more seconds, David. Um, yes. Unfortunately, we're running and out of time. The officers have a pension of 80 of 95 grand, and uh, SDNY typically after 20 years make 110 thousand uh, dollars pension. What are they complaining about? Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, David. Thank you to all our. Uh, callers who joined us in the last part of this show. Uh, you've been listening to the Independent News Hour here on 
WBAI 99.5 FM. We'll be back same time next week, 5 to 6 p.m., right here on this radio station. Please support WBAI, uh, 212-209-2950. Become a WBAI buddy. Make a one-time donation, whatever you can. Keep this radio station on the air. We have some bills we need to catch up on. And I want to thank our board operator, Reggie Johnson. Also want to thank uh, Amba Gagarian, who helped out with all the music selections Uh uh, today, even though she couldn't uh, be with us. Also, uh, Renee Feltz and Sue Brisk helped with the show. And uh, uh, we're going to leave here with uh, one more song uh, called Which I Believe I Am by Damon Locks and the Black Monument Ensemble.